welcome to Hopeful Conversations brought to you by Robbie's Hope Foundation. I am your host, Kari Eckert. Joining me today is Haley, a student at Regis University studying peace and justice and politics. Haley just finished her sophomore year. She works at Regis in the Office of the Administrative as an assistant and is passionate about history, politics, and literature. While in high school, Haley founded Letters to My Generation, a movement for teens with the goal to end the stigma around mental health and continue the important conversation with ourselves and others. Letters to My Generation received plenty of recognition in which we will dive into today. Haley, thank you so much for joining me today on Hopeful Conversations. Of course, I'm so excited to chat with you. Let's start from the beginning. Can you tell us about the birth of Letters to Our Generation and what ignited your desire to create it in the first place? So I think um, Letters to My Generation like originally kind of started as like a like, cathartic uh, thing with like a group of friends. And we had been really frustrated at the time with how like our school was kind of handling mental health issues and just generally how mental health and teens was just handled and how the conversations were handled with adults. And we had noticed that there was a, quite a bit of stigma, especially around those conversations when adults were included. So we kind of came up with this idea of, well, writing letters can be cathartic in the same way. What if we write letters to our mental illness or these really tough periods in our lives or people that have that have um, affected our lives and like are affected our mental health issues and how can we write those letters get it out there and share it to let people know that these things are normal experiences that we can go through and just because we go through those things doesn't mean that we're alone in those struggles and that we like aren't going to be like ostracized from society just because we feel so down or whatever I guess that's where I started. Yeah. What grade were you in when you started? Um, so we started this, um, it was like January of 2020. It was right before COVID hit. It was my senior year of high school. And um, this was at, like, at a point in my life where I had gotten to like, a comfortable place of talking about my mental health struggles, but then also not really feeling like I was owned by my mental health struggles and I could actually build myself like a persona outside of them and advocate for people to be able to like, talk about these things openly and not feel ashamed about it. Okay. And you, you went to a pretty big metro area of Denver high school that had experienced some tragedies in the years prior, just trying to give some context to like what so, your school environment was like. Yeah. So I went to a private um, high school in the Denver area, but it was pretty well connected to all of the other public schools in the area. So um, and like my cousin went to school with Robbie and so like she knew Robbie and so I ended up being impacted by that and seeing and also having all of these suicides at either Arapahoe High School or any of these other high schools in that in the general metro area ended up affecting our school because so many of the students had gone to school with these kids mm -hmm. or knew them or had a friend of a friend who knew them. And so many of the kids at our school were just suffering in silence because it was a quiet, small private school and that was kind of the nature of things so we wanted to kind of bring the conversation more to the forefront yeah I don't think um the way your school responded and possibly the adults is unique and like the ripple effect of 
um, social media is kids do know kids from so many different schools and they don't just stay in like their group from their small school. But I think old mentality of adults kind of think that they do like, oh, well, that doesn't happen at my child's school can sometimes be the um, hat that parents put on. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think knowing that the school that I went to, we had never suffered through a horrible tragedy of having a, a student take their life. And I'm really thankful for that. But that's also that also means that so many of those students were struggling in silence and right. were not getting the help that they needed, regardless of the fact that the all of these other schools had these really horrible tragedies going on. And having social media and this interconnectedness of everything in the world, especially going into COVID, um, right after we founded Letters, like created a whole other like melting pot of issues, I guess. Right, right. How initially did you use social media with Letters to My Generation? Was that part of your plan? Yeah, I think social media ended up being the majority of Letters to My Generation um, and the activism that we ended up doing. We did do some like legislative stuff on the state level, but that was mostly like advocative stuff that like, I have done and some of my other peers have done. But um, doing it through social media allows so many other um, like groups of individuals to see it. It allows parents to see the, these conversations that students are having with each other or young people are having with each other. It also allows like me to send a conversation, like a, say a letter that I saw on Letters to My Generation to one of my friends and be like, oh my God, I just felt like, so this person is going through something that's similar to you. Maybe now you won't feel so alone. Um, that alone piece, yeah. Yeah, because having, when whenever we get so, whatever mental health struggle it is, whether it's an eating disorder or depression, anxiety, whatever, all of those things can make us feel alone and isolated. And creating this awareness of this doesn't just happen to one individual, everyone can have similar experiences, um, can kind of make people feel less alone in their struggles. Yeah. Or it doesn't happen to this type of individual. Sometimes I think we can even stereotype like, oh, someone like Robbie, who looks like, you know, school's easy, sports are easy. He has a smile on his face. I could, this could never apply to him or, um, it applies to everybody. Exactly. And I mean, even with somebody like me now looking at myself as, like a really successful college student, like for like six years ago, I would have never imagined that I would have been in this place because I was in such a different mental state with my mental health struggles, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, and not, and for adults to be able to like see past that at some points when like, I mean, if you looked at me now and you didn't know any of the context behind any of my story, you would think I'm a perfectly healthy like happy 21 year old like who just got her vertical like horizontal id like that's super exciting but without that context and without knowing the back behind the scenes you can't really truly know that like that full individual i guess yeah i think about that a lot like i think about that sometimes even myself like when i'm at the grocery store like there's no way or, or that i represent or like people would think oh my gosh that person like lost a child to suicide like that's yeah. not the image that i give or even now like if you looked at like my private social media pages like yeah my friends know but there's plenty of posts that you would never yeah um yeah how um I want to talk about if you're okay, like you're, I remember seeing you um, testify at the Capitol mm -hmm. and you, you were just eloquent and super powerful. What do you remember about that experience? So um, 
testifying at the Capitol actually was is something that I continue to do now, um, and I'm so so happy to continue doing that legislative advocacy work. Um, but it's I remember going into it and being so scared because I was not of voting age. I think I was 17 at the time. I like had never t- been to like one of like the little like committee meeting rooms. And I didn't even know at the beginning that you could go in and talk on these bills if you were a member of the public and you hadn't been invited. I didn't know that. Um, so we don't teach that in they, civics or government. We don't, we don't teach that in our schools. And I think that's, I think that's one really unfortunate. And two, it really leads to like a lack of, um, involvement from our younger people and going into that room. I, I really wanted to not, I guess like overshare, but also make sure to share the gravity of my situation and how this bill, if it had been in place while I was going through the depths and struggles of my mental health issues, because at that point when I was sitting in that Capitol room with you, I think in 2020, Mm -hmm. um, I was at a very like healthy point in my life and I still, and I'm still kind of in that same realm, but it's knowing that that bill, like two years ago in the past would have changed my life, would have changed how I handled my mental health issues. I wanted to really like convey that to the lawmakers sitting in that room. And I think you did. I think you did. I remember your testimony. Yeah. And I think um, continuing to do that now in the future, I still really continue to have those conversations with lawmakers and have those really serious conversations with them about how these are how young people are being affected. And yes, I got the I got really the, the lucky end of the spectrum. Um, and a lot of students and a lot of young people and a lot of people in general struggle and suffer in silence in terms of mental health issues. And we can see that from the, from the statistics, we can see it from all of the things that come out of the Colorado state, um, like whatever they do to like get all of those statistics. So we, we really have to like convey those things to lawmakers. And if we don't have people going and sitting in those offices and sitting in those legislative meetings, um, like me or like you, then these bills don't get heard and they don't get passed. Was the bill that you testified for? I, I'm, I'm down at the Capitol a lot, or whenever, <laughs> yes. a bit, whenever I can, when a bill applies to youth mental health. Was the initial one that you testified for mental health excused absences? I think it was. I think that yeah. was the one that I testified on with you, and then I did an, uh, a couple other ones that legislative session, um, and then COVID hit and the world changed and everything yeah. happened. I really like how you just talked about how in preparing your testimony, you were very aware of um, just being trauma sensitive is the way that like I talk about it and like the professionally, um, because I think sharing our stories is powerful, but um, being sensitive to others is as powerful versus um, wearing like our um, condition or our experience in a way that maybe is more victimizing mm-hmm. or playing. Um, I don't know. I, that's just, it's really, really important to me as a loss survivor. I work really hard to be trauma sensitive to others. And um, sometimes when someone is not trauma sensitive and they are in a position that um, speaking to others to try to influence, sometimes I even speak up when it's appropriate in a gentle way and inform them. Cause. Yeah. And I think that's also really important because um, even this uh, past April, I went to um, UC Merced and presented at a trauma-informed teaching symposium. 
um, and were, was presenting with one of my professors at Regis and a few other students on how trauma-informed, um, like getting educators trauma-informed and having those trauma-informed practices towards students can really benefit them in these classroom settings and, and, and bring them out of disconnection due to trauma. Um, and having those conversations in the classroom and how to work with language especially is super, super important in having these conversations, one, with people who are in power and also with our educators and adults, because I know for me, like going into a situation where I'm talking to my professors, it's really easy for me to say, oh, like I suffer through all of the X, Y, and Z. But if I go in, go in and say, I am struggling with some of these things in your class, I'm asking for some extra support. What can I do? What can I do to build this relationship with you? Because building those relationships in that trauma-informed context is so, so important, especially in methods of higher education and high school for keeping students in a healthy mental state. Wow. I wish I could have attended that conference. That sounds so interesting. Yes. I'll have to send you some of the stuff that um, I prepared for that so that you can see it. Ah, I'm so proud of you as a young person. Thank you. fantastic. (laughs) Um, Let's get back to letters um, to my generation. Who do you think you influenced and what kind of changes do you think you were able to make with your peers? I think um, a lot of the influence that I still, I, I talked to some of the teachers that I had at the high school that I went to um, still, and a lot of them still actually talk about letters to my generation in some of their classes. And um, my brother is graduating from that high school this year. I'm so ha- proud of him, so excited for him. But I mean, him and his peers, when he started high school as a freshman and I was a senior and Letters to My Generation was started, he has noticed a dramatic shift in how the school even handles mental health issues and how they have the, how they approach those conversations in the classroom. And as much as I'm not there to see those changes, I'm really happy that those changes have happened. And I mean, there's there were some of the legislative changes that happened on like the state level with um, the excused absences. And then I think... There was a couple of bills that we testified on that on like in the 2020 session that got lost because of COVID and then that got revived the next year, um, like an insurance covered like yearly mental health checkup. Yeah, with um, Representative Daphna Michelson. Yes, Janae. yes, one yeah. of our um, one of our amazing allies on Capitol Hill. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we worked on those bills as well. But I also think just creating those conversations among young people because I know that as much as I wasn't there to see those conversations or see these posts getting shared around, people talked about them. I had like my peers um, maybe come up to me like two or three years later when they like will randomly see me in a mall and they'll be like, girl, like all of these things that you did with letters, like as much as like, there's not a lot going on with that anymore. There's all of those conversations that started have led to me having these conversations more openly and more willingly and not really holding back from saying, oh, yes, I have, or or, I struggle through some of these things, but I've lived through it. A large ripple effect that sometimes we don't see as advocates, but like you just have to be trusting the process. Exactly. That's for sure. Do you remember any setbacks? I'm just trying to like kind of go through the lens of maybe there's a young person that's listening today and has an idea of, you know, how they could create some change in their community. What kind of setbacks do you remember from trying? See, I think, um, especially now with some of the education that I've gotten at Regis, um, especially in like community organizing, 
Um, and I've TA'd this community orga- organizing class. And I mean, it's one of my favorite things that I love doing. I didn't really realize that what I was doing with Letters to My or- uh, Generation was community organizing in and of itself. Like it was community organizing and I was doing it without even having learned it. Um, but because I was doing it without having learned it, I did make a lot of mistakes. And it was a lot of realizing that yes, having a leader to do things is really important, but collective action and having people who are invested in it in all these different ways makes the movement so much more powerful. Because if you only have a leader who is really delegating tasks and saying, can you please do X, Y, and Z, post this on social media, um, you're really just kind of being the boss of somebody else. But if you have a collective, then you're having individuals who are really bought into the process, who are saying, I really want to see change happen with this, and I want to see this be successful. Um, So I think really working on not having it be like a hierarchical structure and being like, this is the leader and this is who's under the leader. Working as a collective can really make movements or making, if you're trying to make something happen, can working as a collective can make it so, so much more powerful. For huh. sure. You, wisdom, Haley. Wow. <laughs> collectively. Um, yeah. Collectively. And just, it's easier to work with, I mean, alongside other people than trying to create change by yourself is Especially, very that's for sure. And I think for young people too, it's hard for us. I think for some of us, we can say, oh, we're so young that we're going to walk into a room, especially for me as a young woman, I can walk into a room and say, oh, what if they're just going to look at me and be like, oh, that's a little, like, she's just a little girl, like who's complaining about something. No, it, it makes, I, my voice will be so much louder if I have four other people with me or five other people with me or 20 other people with me who all are saying similar things having that collective will just show the people who are in power who have the power to change things that this is an issue that needs to be addressed very good mm-hmm. how do you think um covid played into conversations about youth mental health Ooh, i think covid in a lot of different ways, I think it brought good attention to the um, to the conversation about youth mental health. But I think in a lot of different ways, in my opinion, I see it a lot as like performative talking about it. I see a lot of like in Colorado, especially, it's still just as hard for a lot of my peers to go and get therapy or to go and, absolutely or to go and get a diagnosis or to go and get put on medication and get therapy to get on those wait lists, it takes them a long time. And Uh I mean, most of my peers now are college students. College students don't have money. Like paying for those things is difficult. And I think the lack of resources and the lack of accessibility to resources is still there. It's still very, very real through COVID. And even now, it's something that needs to be fixed and addressed. And I don't really know what the answer is to it. But I think it's started conversations around youth, around youth mental health and mental health in the general communities of all age groups um, and has cre- continued those conversations even furthermore as we're seeing the, pan- like the effects of the pandemic play out um, and how students will act differently in classrooms and how they will un- interact differently. How do we engage in, like engage these students in different ways? So I think it's like, opened a lot of doors to those conversations, but I think really creating the access to the resources hasn't happened yet as much as I would love to see it happen. Yeah. 
Oh, God. I feel feel like I agree. It's like peeled back one of the layers, but yes. we're, there's a lot more layers to peel. I actually had the opportunity to um, listen to Representative Michael Sanjanae here in Colorado just this week. And um, I, like she was talking about how there's we can never build enough systems and the in to help and address all of the needs in mental health mm-hmm. and how like this journey that we're all on and that you and I are trying to cheerlead from the side with really really big posters and really like oh, create a ton of awareness is really like a marathon. Yeah. And her like uh, was like okay so what aid station are you going to be? like on the sideline, like how are you going to support people around you to have these conversations? And because there's not enough help available, because college kids don't have enough funding, because Mm -hmm. the wait lists are so long, like where are you going to play in this whole conversation Mm -hmm. and really challenging the people around you? Yeah, exactly. And I, and going into college, like going into a college setting, especially after COVID, like and seeing the mental health um, struggles that my like peers were going through and going to like a smaller uh, private institution. Yes. Like there are, there are limited resources and there are structures and systems within the university and within the state that hinder or help students get care or help young adults get care and really making sure that people know what their resources are, I think is really important for young people for sure, because a lot of the time we'll be scared to be like, oh, well, I don't want my parents to know. How do I get like, how do I figure this out? So it's getting those resources in like a compiled place is like a good, good starting stone for at least that. How do you think we're doing in terms of like stigma reduction amongst like college students or late high school students? Um, I think especially a young, among young adults, for sure, like stigma reduction in that age group among each other. I don't think there's much. I mean, yes, there's always going to be this little bit of like, oh, like stigma that we've all have from like our parents, but it's a lot more acceptable to say, yes, like I have like X, Y, and Z, or I'm struggling through X, Y, and Z, or I'm anxious today, um, especially like within my age group. If I'm talking to a lot of my peers, I'm more than willing to say, I'm having a really bad day today. I'd like need you to chill, like back off and chill out. Um, but I think it's created a different dynamic with our like older or like our older generations I guess like when I interact with my parents my parents are a little bit are much more understanding now of being like I get that you're kind of going through stuff right now and this is like a thing for you and you've explained this to me you're communicating this with me I'm gonna like be here to support you um and really create like creating the relationships with the people who are important with you in your life are really good and creating those support networks. I have like my favorite professors and I go and bother them in their offices all the time, but those people are my support networks and they have, especially after COVID, they've made a really, really big effort to say, I'm going to be here for you guys. And I'm like, no matter what you need, I will stop what I'm doing. I'll like talk to you. So I think like a lot of the older people, I guess, or people who are older than I am would have gotten so much better at being willing to actually have those conversations, which is really good, which is really, it's really very good. good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, what about like on campus, our kid or young people, kids, 
I mean, I, yeah, I, would say, I would like to consider myself a kid still. <laughs> yeah, oh, I, I think you should. I would, I mean, wow. Why not? I won't go there because I'll just go off on a tangent about <laughs> how great it is to be a young person and enjoy summer. You said you just finished school and you're going to yeah. on summer break. Like um, we grow up way too fast and all the pressures that's, mm-hmm. that does come into this whole conversation. But um, the question I was thinking was, um, are students willing to go seek services on campus or is there still like, I had heard like they wouldn't do that because I didn't want it attached to like their college record. Like they were concerned. So I think it definitely depends. Um, I have, I'm pretty well connected with the students on my campus at Regis. Um, So I would say a lot of students are willing to go and get the resources. um, But even then when they are willing to get the resources, sometimes there's a wait list or it might be like a uh, virtual therapy because there's not enough in-person services and some people would rather have the in-person services over the virtual. Um, So I think there's that, but it's also partially that my campus, so many students feel so comfortable going to faculty and like their, and a lot of like their peer networks of being like, okay, like I can go to these people for help. And they can direct me to these different resources, which is amazing. That's a great, great quality of Regis's campus. But um, I think it's difficult for students, especially on my campus, who don't have, like, say, student health insurance and who are from out of state and, like, can't get, say, like, quality, cheap therapy in in Denver because they don't have a car and they don't have health insurance here. Um, Right. So I, there's partially that, but it's also partially that there's so much need and not enough there. And I think that's probably a common thread among most college campuses. Right, right. How would you suggest like keeping young people in um, continued dialogue in the conversation, like letters to my generation, like what do you see as power in like changing these conversations and creating these relationships? Cause I kind of think that's a takeaway I, I hear from listening yeah. to you is that's a, a lot about relationships. Yeah. I think, um, especially having gone to college with like my experience of with letters to my generation, creating, having the ability to say, okay, yes, I'm going to create relationships and I'm going to willingly put myself out there to say, I want to make relationships with these people. Um, whether that be like your advisor in college or like um, some like a RA or some, someone else who is not like your friend. Um, being, being willing to put yourself out there and say, I need to make these relationships and create a support network for myself outside of my friends uh, and create like, advi- like advisors, like people who love me, who care about me and who, are, and who I can go to um, and who are also willing to make these relationships in return with me and share things with me about like about their lives and about the things that they love to do and um, like getting going to your professor's office hours once at the beginning of the semester perfect example of creating these relationships I do this every semester every single time I go and talk to my professors like first two weeks of class I'll go to one of their office hours and I'll be like hey this is who I am just want to tell you a little bit about me um, and I want to know a little bit about you like, and like this, I, this is also so I can find your office. I know where you're at if I need to come and get help. And nine times out of 10, those professors are so much more willing to work with you 
and willing to say, like, if you're having a really bad mental health day and you need to miss class, you could probably just send them an email and say, I'm having a really bad mental health day. Please let me know if I need to do anything. And they will just be like, please take the time to take care of yourself. Huh, that's fantastic advice. Um, and like advocating for yourself from the very beginning. And mm-hmm. I like how you said, like sharing about yourself, but also trying to learn about them because like those professors, they're just humans. Yes, they love whatever subject they're teaching, but at the end of the day, they're humans and they want those connections as well. Otherwise they would not be in the position. Yeah, the they wouldn't be, they wouldn't doing. be teaching and they, yeah. they wouldn't be in higher education and, or even in teaching in general, if you're in high school, like teachers are there because they want to to help their students grow and help them become the best versions of themselves. So mm-hmm. really intentionally saying, I'm going to create these relationships from the very beginning is important, but also using language to your advantage. You can, right. for, I think for me, that's, it's really important of being like, not specifically naming the, the things that I have gone through, but saying I have had experiences in the past of mental health issues and like, this is just so you are aware of it. It's not horrible right now. Sometimes it sometimes it spurs up. I'll let you know if I need more support. And so when you're when you're open like that, and not saying, oh, I'm going through specifically depression and anxiety and whatever else, but you're saying I'm struggling. I've gone through these things in the past. They don't define me, but they have they have they have affected my experience, and they may affect my experience in the future. This is so you know, and this is so I can, like, this is so that you can best support me and I can best be a good student, be a good whatever it is. Hmm. You're wise. Yeah. Um, do you want to tell me about, like, or us, our listeners, about, like, what, you, what you're aspiring in your college path of peace and justice and politics and maybe the relationship to potentially more work in mental health? See, I think... Um, I think there's a weird like relationship to like peace and justice and mental health and I mean politics even more so. Um, for me, I have kind of stepped away from directly advocating for mental health issues, but going more so of being we need to create better standards of living for our young people, for our, for everyone basically, and saying like yeah, like we have all of these things going on, but let's create better systems, let's create better structures of governance, and saying okay, like. All of these things are going on. How can communities best support each other? How can we create communities that want to support each other? So I think hopefully in the future, that's what I would love to do is like help communities really learn how to help themselves because that's that's really important to me. I, I don't think that we should be going and begging the people who are in power to, get, to do everything for us. I think communities really can be doing things for themselves and we can create that power amongst ourselves collectively if we do it properly. So hopefully going into the future, I'll continue studying that and um, all that good stuff um, and working with Robbie's Hope continually and like Mental Health Colorado and different uh, state legislators um, to kind of push forward mental health uh, initiatives. And, um, you know, grad school, law school, we'll see. Um, but I definitely want to continue talking about like trauma informed stuff. That symposium that I presented at, uh, this April was amazing and I really would love to continue doing work like that. Um, so yeah, we'll see, I guess we'll, it's kind of an open-ended, but not really open-ended. So more school. (laughs) More school. Wow. I, listening to you talk makes me want to go back to school. I think just being a continual learner is just fascinating and you just bring energy and great passion 
um, building stronger communities. That is super key. Well, and, yeah, and I think if we build stronger communities within schools, within our neighborhoods, within our like even cities, like we can create better better like mental health generally for a community. Like if I would love to be able to walk down a street, like walk down my neighborhood street and be able to like say hi to all of my neighbors when they're standing outside and not like not know who they are. Totally. And so creating those more intentional communities, uh, whether that's in a school, whether that's in a like little tiny town or a college or whatever, it's creating those communities can help change like how mm-hmm. our standard of living is. And not waiting for the government to do it for us. They can't exactly. do it for us. Yeah. yeah. Oh, goodness. What advice would you give to a teen that feels stuck in trying to promote mental health awareness? Oh, I think sometimes I sit in this question a lot. It's because uh, mental health awareness, um, I was actually talking to somebody else about this. I forget what organization they were, they're with, but um, mental health advocacy is so difficult because as much as as much as the advocacy still happens, there's still tragedy. And as much as there's success stories and people get better, there's still horrible, horrible stories. And that is the heartbreaking, gut wrenching work of mental health advocacy. And it's so it can be draining sometimes of saying of watching and seeing how many people are struggling. But I think for me now looking back on it and also sitting in a very different position from where I was when I started letters to my generation, even if at that point in time, I really thought I failed and I really thought that like letters to my generation didn't do that much because sometimes I I sit back and I really think that even if one person read that letter and said, okay, I'm not giving up today or I'm not going to give up because this person didn't give up like that is so much more important than seeing this huge big change it's and it's I mean it's hard work and it's like it's gut-wrenching grueling work that has to continue but and I think I sit back and I look at it and I say if I'm not going to do it who else is going to do it because if people aren't willing to sit and talk about these things and sit in the uncomfortableness of some of these experiences we can't change anything. And somebody has to keep talking about it. Somebody has to keep being annoying about it. And if it's not me, then who else is it going to be? Yeah. If it's not me, who's, who is it going to be? Um, I hear focus on, you know, just trusting that you're reaching one. And if you're reaching one, that's who you needed to reach. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that one person could even be yourself. Ah. Uh, I just got to speak at a middle school this week to sixth graders, seventh graders, and eighth graders. Um, and when I left, the kids were waiting for to get picked up. And there was a boy that looked very much like Robbie may have looked when he was in middle school, like just kind of a jock, like really, you know, like probably a boy that a lot of the other kids looked up to. Like, I want to be like that mm-hmm. kid. And he like, after just, he waved to me and he said, thank you. And I was just like, okay that made today worth it. Like yeah. I was heard and it was just like, it was very, very powerful. And yes, there is a lot of tragedy and it's, I think because we are advocates, um, you know, we're, that's more in our, our realm and in our world. So we're aware we, we yeah. hear it more. 
Um, but focusing on that one. And I, I just, I, I learned from you just now, like, even if that one is me that day, that's okay. Yeah. Well, because at the end of the day, like sitting, me sitting here and talking to you, I've gone through one, I've gone through 100% of my worst days. I have a 100, I, that's a, that's a perfect grade, A plus. So, and you know, if that, if that, if that one person is me, then I continue my perfect grade. That's great. Awesome. Awesome. Haley, this has been a fantastic conversation, but we always end with the same question. So you're not, get one more. What does the world need to hear right now? Ooh. I think take a deep breath and like step back and like look at what's actually happening. Because I think there's so we've gone through so much collective trauma in the last three, four years with COVID and everything else that's happened. I think it's really easy for us to get in the monotony of, I'm just going to go to sleep and wake up and go and live every single day. But I think stepping back and taking a deep breath and recognizing what's actually happening either in your life or in the world can really bring a whole new sense of awareness. And sometimes for a lot of different people, like movement and action to different things. Awesome. Take a deep breath. Thank you, Haley, so much for joining me today on a hopeful conversation. And to our listeners, be sure to tune into our next side. Wow. I'm just going to say that all over. (laughs) And for our listeners, be sure to tune into our next episode. And until then, remember, hold on, pain ends. (laughs) 